Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, uh, and this podcast is sponsored by the Indiana Women's Action Movement. Um, we're here today for our fourth um, installment of uh, a report on the circus show of our Indiana uh, Attorney General, Todd Rokita. <laughs> so Destiny Scott-Wells has um, been with us before several times and is just an outstanding uh, legal expert on, on uh, the state of Indiana and the Attorney General's uh, office and what should be happening. And um, of course, a great explanation of what is actually happening um, in the Attorney General's office. So, um, so we have so many things that we don't even have time to do a recap of all of the crazy issues that we have already covered in our three previous uh, interviews. So today we're gonna move right along. And of course, the big issue that um, we are most familiar about uh, concerning Todd Rokita is his, uh, not so recently, I guess in the last month or so, released parental bill of rights uh, as to uh, education. So Destiny, tell us what this one is all about. Right. And we do this every episode, right? We're like, we're like we only have so much time to talk about everything that he's done in just the last month. Um, right. So the office puts out a um, parent's bill of rights, and this is directly linked to their website. And it's basically five, six points on what parents can do to be more involved um, with their children's education and their school board and finding out curriculum. You know, just gives some common knowledge that um, parents should be already privy to. However, it kind of takes a nosedive at the end of the Parents' Bill of Rights and gets very divisive and starts talking about the 1916 project and um, critical race theory uh, in schools. And so it at the time, and we've talked about this before, we talked about how CRT was, you know, um, becoming a big topic of conversation. So, so Rakita jumps on it and issues out this parent's bill of rights, starts hitting the news circuits on it, and then also starts making appearances um, throughout Indiana discussing the parent's bill of rights, um, even up in uh, Kosciuszko County, at Winona Lake, uh, there, he had a, a big event there uh, discussing the parent's bill of rights. Uh, why do I say that? Um, because if you uh, see it for what it really is, it's just an opportunity for more earned media. Right. So he right. Wants just to, to, just to be clear, he had literally um, he he went uh, approached the county commissioners of Kosciuszko County and offered to bring you know enlightenment about uh, critical race theory and how uh, it impacts uh, education in Indiana. Uh, you know, neglecting to acknowledge that county commissioners have zero influence on uh, schools and uh, boards of education. And so none of that had any real possibility of making any real influence, um, except for, as you say, uh, a little earned media. For right. I mean, I've heard of um, from some other um, elected officials, you know, that their their town had been contacted saying, you know, do you need the AG services to come talk about anything that people may be interested in? And um at the time, at that that week, <laughs> it was critical race theory. <laughs> right, and as we uh, saw that kind of enter school board meetings, um, it really kind of fell apart very quickly. 
um, it became apparent um, that parents and school boards were realizing that this was absolutely a non-issue. Um, no one could actually define what they were even yelling about. Um, and when they did talk about some I don't know, extremist uh, view, uh, that wasn't really even happening. Um, so I do want to um, keep our eye on the whole mask issue that is now the big screaming issue in uh, schools. And um, we haven't really seen anything on Todd, uh, from Todd Rokita on that issue yet, but, um, but we'll have to, you know, we'll have to just uh, keep an eye out for that. Well, he had a previous issue with the masks and the governor. Uh, and, you know, technically the governor is his client. And so that was um, months ago where he said something um, really uh, contradictory to the governor's interest in wearing masks and and raised ethical questions, you know, because you don't speak badly about a client, let alone to the press. And it, it's the governor. Um, but going back, I, I want to highlight that the Parents' Bill of Rights that was not done in coordination with what agency? The Department of Education. Um, so you have, again, the Attorney General acting outside of the scope of his responsibilities and really abusing the office for what we all know is probably a 2024 run for governor. Um, we've, been, we've been saying that on the previous episodes. So no coordination with the Department of Education. And then also really just ruffled the feathers, um, rightfully so, of you know, entities like the Black Legislative Caucus. Um, so the IBLC sat down with him um, a week or two ago to talk about the Parents' Bill of Rights, because when you look at the language in, in it, um, you know, it just causes further division. It talks, when I, when I said it talked about CRT in the 1916 project, which is um, really a lesson in history from the viewpoint of um, those who were enslaved, so of by black people and the oppression that it's caused, um, you know, generationally, he says that that's being taught through a quote, narrow prism of race. And I don't really know how you teach slavery through anything other than the prism of race, yeah. but he had a problem with it. And so he calls like terms like diversity and equity, just euphemisms, um, you know, to, to discuss CRT. And then he says that these practices are in his parents' bill of rights. He says that they're consistently being backdoored into Indiana classrooms through things like social emotional learning. That's why you've heard SELs talked about lately. So he has this meeting with the Black Legislative Caucus. Then he tweets it like, look at me. I'm talking to the IBLC about this. And then they immediately put out a statement that says, hey, we actually called him to the table and then kind of makes um, uh they say, you know, we look forward to him basically improving the um, Parents' Bill of Rights, uh, you know, to not be. So I don't know, uh, read between the lines, racist. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I, you know, and I, you just cannot give enough credit to the IBLC for their grace, um, you know, under this sort of attack. Uh, and just, you know, always maintaining a rational, intelligent perspective. Exactly. Um, and their, their statement was definitely steeped in grace, um, very restrained, but yeah. did call him out on the issue. Uh, you know, this issue starts to um, quiet down because Rokita claims a victory. The uh, Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education, backs off some language and uh, some some grant application language that was the focus of the, the CRT and 1916 project. They were trying to say that the federal government had these strings attached to, to these grants. So they back away from that language and then Todd, you know, claims that as a victory of his own and moves on to the next thing. 
All right, which is, uh, well, we're, and I don't think this is a really new thing, right? This is the whole um, investigating um, China's uh, propaganda and, you know, like, uh, you know, in, in, infusion into um, American post-secondary education. So, oh my gosh, Joe McCarthy, here we come. So, yeah. um, so tell us about, tell us about the, the China issue. I'm just gonna be frank. So we, we pivot from, from black people to, to Asian people. That's the pivot we've done. Um, you know, we saw, we see all the time, um, little pings from him on defund the police. Um, just in the last couple of weeks, he's went after representative Corey Bush. He, um, talked about the Chinese, but yet still went after LeBron James, one of police reform. So, you know, I, I'm very open with saying I, I don't often ever find that he attacks white people. Um, so he goes on to China and we're now investigating Valparaiso University, but he's kind of spinning it like we're we're inviting we're investigating the Chinese through Valpo. But in fact, what he's doing is he's um, using uh, different vehicles that we've like the Deceptive Consumer Sales Act to get to Valpo um, because of their ties with a program called the Confucius Institute. So um, the, and actually let me back up, Deb, I'm sorry. There's always- No, that is, it's it's complicated. The week before this, um, I want to tell you this before we jump, because it's a a little bit of a deep dive into the Confucius Institute. Um, The week before he had an internal email leaked by his own staff um, because everybody's just, a lot of people are upset about the open xenophobia and racism that he does um, does act with, and so this email is linked or is leaked where he is scaling back um, their progression on their phase plan of getting back completely to the to the office, and he says that it is um, quote in his email this I mean this email is grammatically butchered uh, it's it's awful so. Quote, given the uncertainty are silly in the number of China virus cases and the new Delta variant. Um, so he calls COVID, he calls COVID-19 the, the China virus. We've talked about in previous episodes that he's done this. He's done this on major networks, like I, I believe like Fox. And so it's nothing new him calling it the China virus. But you know what? I, I don't know the, um, the diversity within the current uh, staff, but can you imagine being, you know, from the API community and getting an email like this at work? Um, it just has to be so uncomfortable. Uh, so he does this, and then, and then on Monday, we're investigating China. <laughs> just um, the notion, yeah, it just sounds so ridiculous. Let's investigate yeah. China. So he says that they're investigating uh, Confucius Institute's association with Valpo, uh, quote, to uncover whether the Chinese government has attempted to impose its political influence on Hoosier students by shaping and limiting our perspective of China and the Chinese government through the Confucius Institute. So basically, hey, uh, I believe that the um, Chinese, an arm of Chinese propaganda is at play at Valpo, and I think I need to look into it. You know, it all just, you know, eventually it will become clear that this is really just another way to get headlines. I mean, but it is, I mean, it is just so outrageous. You know, Valparaiso University is a Lutheran college. Um, Right. So So their statement immediately is like, hey, this doesn't even comport with our, 
with our Christ, our, our Christian values, um, right. if it's happening, if communism is being taught at a Christian yeah. university. Um, <laughs> so the Confucius Institute, uh, you know, what is it? It's, there are programs all across the U S at one time, it was like almost up to a hundred at different universities, um, where they sign on, they contract, have a contract with the Confucius Institute and the Confucius Institute is, is, um, it is part of basically the Chinese government. And so the Chinese government has a lot of influence on what they're doing. Right. And, um, the program has been shut down at other universities. IUPUI recently shut theirs down, um, Purdue. And that's because the federal government has already been looking into it. The federal government's already aware. Um, the State Department's been looking into it. The FBI's been looking into it. The Senate did a whole um, subcommittee uh, investigation on it. Um, and, and I think like it was titled, China's impact on the US education system. And it went through all of this. So what, this is just redundant. It's him after the fact. There's not gonna be anything that really comes out of this. Um, well, no one's gonna have a headline if he can't it. be in it. He's gotta be named or it can't happen. Right. So, so go ahead. No, no um, you know, this propaganda arm, it's what is referred to as, you know, soft power, right? Uh, it should be noted that the United States also does this. Um, we have partnerships, the State Department, and you, and you know how KG academia can be about having um, government influence on their curriculum. Uh, so they have, the State Department has partnered with some universities and they have these American cultural centers um, ac across the globe but in, in China, and they've also been shut down. So I, I just want to, I just want to tease this out. So uh, when the Senate investigated this, they, um, the, the state department reported that they had, um, had some visa issues, right? So a, a research visa versus a teaching visa, a teaching visa is difficult, more difficult, um, to obtain than a research visa. So, so, um, Chinese, uh, students, professors, whatever would come over on a research visa, but then they would end up teaching in a classroom Mandarin and, you know, uh, your average teacher, American teacher doesn't speak Mandarin. So they don't necessarily know what's being told, right? So there is the ability to, um, you know, teach propaganda. I don't know what you're really going to teach pre-K. Uh, <laughs> you're probably just going to be in violation of your visa um, because you're supposed to be doing primarily research. Okay, now let's think about this. Uh, you know, we have somebody who's American. They go over to China on a similar type of research um, visa and they're teaching ESL on the side, you know? Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. And so these are, these are the kind of things that the, but this is what the Senate looked into and what they did find were that there were these visa, there were some of these visa violations that they needed to shore up and that um, universities hadn't been reporting their foreign gifts. Oh, because the Confucius Institute does pay in this in this program to have this program in the university. It's only like a couple hundred grand a year. And so you'll hear um, Todd Rakita say that Valpo's taken over a million dollars um, 
from the Chinese government. But you know what? That's because Valpo reported it, that he has that information. It's public. It's out there. I pulled it this morning um, and it has them reporting over $200,000 from the Chinese government, 2016, 18, and 19. Um, so only by virtue of them following the rules has he become privy to this information. Uh, and so what they, what they say is that he has sent a letter uh, and what should follow is he's claiming that they may be in violation of the 1965 um, Higher Education Act. That's that it requires that foreign reporting. So may be in violation doesn't appear so. Um, and then also um, that they are in violation of the Indiana Deceptive Consumer Sales Act. Now that is a vehicle that um, Todd or that Rakita is using to open up investigations into multiple entities. Um, it's written very broadly by the legislature so that it is a tool for him to look into, you know, any type of malfeasance by businesses out there that are taking advantage of consumers. Back to our first episode, we talked about them, them doing, you know, consumer protection. Oh, it's just this little thing on the side. It's, it's a big deal, but it's just consumer protection. No, Rakita has managed to use his tools for consumer protection to have a, you know, look at, to cover his very broad agenda on it, all things, not um, consumer protection. <laughs> oh, right. And I mean, sort of, you know, baseless uh, accusations, baseless investigations, um, you know, intended really just to get in a headline. Um, I, I think you've pointed out before that these um, investigations are, are not effective. They don't result in any actual anything. And, and so, so it's really yeah, just, it feels like just a waste of money. Right. And we yes. talked about that before that he did this with big tech. So this is a playbook that's being um, ran right now by Republican uh, attorneys general. Uh, and so you'll see that Rakita is actually followed, followed Bill Paxton, um, the federally indicted <laughs> Attorney General from Texas, because he used his um, deceptive, I think it's the DTPA, the Deceptive Trade Practices Act in Texas to get to big tech. And Twitter, um, you know, felt that this was very retaliatory. It was over the Trump tweets. Mm -hmm. And so they filed lawsuit against Texas saying this was First Amendment retaliation. But the court said, hey, this is premature. You don't file a lawsuit against them. You just don't answer these the civil investigative demands, and then they file against you. And so that, uh, into, that takes into question, are anybody, is anybody really answering Rakita's civil, uh, the, his CIDs? CIDs, just, just for everybody, it's like a, an administrative subpoena. And so um, you can use it when you are investigating something, if you believe a statute's been violated. And that statute that he's using, again, is the Indiana uh, DCSA. But it's short of a subpoena, right? So it's kind of a, a preliminary criminal investigative penalty. tool. Right. right. The federal government has this tool too. Theirs actually has criminal penalties if you don't answer. Um, but ours doesn't. Ours, um, you know, uh, you can be uh, tagged with a, um, attorney fee, attorney's fees if it, gets, if, you, if it gets dragged into court and you should have answered. Um, so for the but, most part, he issues these, um, the respondent doesn't answer, and then it 
it doesn't go anywhere. Is that right? Well, I think probably Valpo, um, well, it's likely they'll answer um, because the, ev the evidentiary threshold to, ha to um, have these CIDs is extremely low. Um, you just have to have an open investigation and that the person that you have served the CID on may have some knowledge. So for example, when um, Rakita had opened up his investigation into big tech, also which we haven't heard much about, um, when, he, when he opened it up against big tech, he served these CIDs on, we, and we discussed before, 10 civil rights leaders, again, who um, none were white. So the 10 civil uh, rights leaders that had met with Zuckerberg at Facebook, um, you know, the A-team shows up and, and has a, an, a meeting with him. And out of all the meetings that Zuckerberg has on a daily basis, this is the one meeting where Rakita wants to know him more information. So he serves these on all 10 of them. And then he gets to talk about it and say, look at me. They're all out of state. So, you know, it's a bit of trouble for the AG's office in Indiana to track these people down. You have to, um, you have to kind of go after them within their own jurisdiction. So the, the person that you serve the CID on where they live or where they do business, not necessarily in the state of Indiana, like Valpo. Which requires an extra expense of hiring local counsel, I'm sure. Um, so, um, Anyway, it's just it's just so frustrating. And I'll say, you know, it, it begins to dawn on me, um, you know, where this is going, where this is heading. Um, who all will be victim of the CID um, <laughs> attack? And, and as you say, if you're in Indiana, you're more amenable to that uh, demand for information than if you were out of state. And so um, you have to wonder who else in Indiana is going to be subject to this kind of investigation, you know, that is based on nothing um, and then uh, is followed with these, um, you know, time consuming, uh, costly demands for information. So um, which will um, naturally bring us to our next topic, and that is reproductive rights <laughs> for women. Um, I think that, um, you know, that's one of the first ones that comes up in my mind. We've had bills before that have uh, attempted to delve into the private medical records of women who seek out abortions. Um, and even this past year, um, the, no, the bills that were out there that wanted uh, a report about the mental health of women who uh, sought out abortions, uh, as if you know those women's uh, HIPAA rights and their rights to private medical records are an exception, you know, that they don't, they don't get to have privacy. And that's the, you know, there's been several attempts over the years to get uh, records of, of women um, who uh, seek out um, uh, and, and other reproductive health uh, services. So, um, so anyway, I got a, a little digress there. I'm sorry. So, um, so um, if you're ready to move on to that topic, I know that um, you have yeah. some good information to share about that, um, about the recent court case, a uh, uh, decision that sh uh, took out several of the Indiana restrictions on abortion rights. Um, right. And of course, we'll have to start thinking about what is going to happen as a result of that. So it, it seems every session, the um, Indiana legislature 
pushes out some um, bills that seem just on their face unconstitutional when it comes to women's reproductive freedom. Um, you know, uh, not to get personal, but usually I come from Representative Peggy Mayfield down in uh, near my hometown in Morgan County. <laughs> and so it ends up, you know, it ends up tied up in litigation. It just seems every year they keep they keep many organizations busy, like you know the ACLU and such. So this case was from Whole Women's Health versus Rokita, and it was a 2008. It started out as a 2018 case, um, so technically it probably was Hill, and then and then switched out with Rokita. Um, it was in front of Judge uh, Sarah Evans Barker from the set. A real Indiana. personal hero of mine. I love her. She's awesome. From the Indiana Southern District, it had uh, it had a lot of provisions in it, and she ended up striking down quite a few provisions in her in 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 her opinion that she issued, I think, like last week. And so, but she, at the same time, she did hold up some. So some she struck down were um, bans on the use of telemedicine and abortion care, which became very very important during the pandemic. Um, you know, in person examinations. Uh, uh, before abortions, let me see. I, I have a list here. Go ahead. Um, yeah. yeah. A requirement that only physicians can administer first trimester medication abortions, um, a requirement that second trimester abortions must be performed in a hospital or ambulatory outpatient surgical center, um, and other requirements on abortion facilities. And I, I think there were actually a couple more. So, but those are kind of the big ones. The telemedicine one was big. Especially yes. now we're back with the telever- with the Delta right. variant, right? I mean, right. because women were being, for, you know, were having to go and leave their homes when they were supposed to be, um, you know, staying at home. Right. And, right. but at the same time, it upheld, upheld um, the ultrasound requirement before an abortion. The 18 um, hour notice uh, or 18 hour and you know, 18, yes. inform- informative thing. You had a, a waiting period. That's what it was. Yeah. And then that I think the parental consent as well was upheld. Yes. And so that the patient has to delay her abortion for at least 18 hours after receiving her dis, um, state mandated disclosures. Right. So what Which that means, that means it requires yeah. women to take more time off work. You know, mm-hmm. if you're driving far, just all these additional hurdles mm-hmm. um, that really call into question um, the undue bur- burden standard under Casey. Um, and so this happened. So it's it's a win, but it's also it's a, it's probably more a loss, a bigger loss for Rakita. And so they appeal it right away, uh, which is pretty standard. You know, he likes to talk about running up the chain, running up the chain to uh, to the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court's already granted cert on another case um, called Dobbs v. Jackson. And that case is going to look at whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. Just the court granting cert, which is now a 6-3 conservative court, just them granting cert is a huge deal. That is a huge deal. And I feel like we've all, um, those who do support um, women's reproductive health, we've all gotten a little um, complacent because for years they have talked about limiting Roe v. Wade. And it's just kind of like out there like, "Uh uh-huh, 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 sure. Because the Supreme Court would never take it up. And so this is the real deal, folks. Um, It's being heard uh, at the earliest next spring and then or into... um, early or late next spring into early summer. And this is going to have, this will, this may have a big impact. So what I, 
what does this have to do with with the AG? Um, you know, I mean, the AG made an appearance on Saturday on a uh, on a podcast he or radio show that he likes to a lot. But, you know, he retweets the title of the show and it says, um, what did we say? Oh, yeah. State's top attorney takes aim at court of Southern Indiana. It just is like this. Um, it's just kind of out of bounds, right, for an AG to say they're going directly after the court. And then also when you listen to it, um, you know, they're talking about the judge not refer uh, not referring to her as the judge, you know, and it just um, has a tenor that is a little uh uh, disturbing. And so back so, in the Trump administration, that sort of misogyny, that sort of uh, xenophobia, you know, uh, that kind of double down aggression, uh, kind of white male, you know, aggression kind of uh, approach, um, you know, that was, um, that was, uh, you know, it was very popular. And, um, and it, it tended to work. Um, but I think that has really peaked, <laughs> peaked out. And I really think that is on the, the downslide now. And, and it just, it, you can feel it. It doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. No one's off the table though for him, except white men. You That's know, right. I mean, we've talked about uh, the black community. Uh, he's been very forward with his, uh, anti-Asian hate, you know, perpetuating that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this is, this is the women. And so, um, from a big, from a, uh, uh, higher st strategic standpoint on this case, not on his case on Dobbs v. Jackson, um, when this comes out, this will come out around the, the May primaries, um, for the midterms. So we'll already be stuck with our candidates, um, probably at that time. But if this comes out and does in fact, uh, chip away at Roe, um, and, and it, it probably, I mean, the courts never had a much, um, comfort with the, the viability issue. So right. if it's chipped away at, or let alone if it's, you know, if they do away with Roe it is going to cause such a ruckus with the public. Um, and, and expect that the Indiana legislature will have more unconstitutional, um, bills at the ready waiting for well, what will no longer be considered unconstitutional, right. Waiting, waiting for this opinion. Right. Um, so, you know, to it remains to be seen, uh, but you're going to have people like the AG continuing to um, appeal, appeal what are now considered still considered unconstitutional laws. And then you're and then, you know, the, the AG says, well, we just really have this patchwork of of um, abortion doctrine throughout the U.S. And, and we need the Supreme Court to put it in order for us. And, you know, that's because we have all these Republican legis legislatures across the U.S., the state legislatures passing unconstitutional laws. Right. And right. forcing courts to talk about um, what the un an undue burden is against women. So really, it's like, you know, we, we've said this before, setting the house on fire and then, you know, yelling for somebody to bring the fire hose or whatever. That's kind of what this feels like. Gosh, well, and, um, it, um, you know, I will say that um, it's my opinion anyway, that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's uh, argument that this, you know, this case Roe v. Wade should not have been decided uh, based on privacy rights, um, but should have been decided on equal protection um, uh, issues. And, and that's, that, 
would have, I think, held up much better. Um, and it's so interesting because now in all the you know popular banter that's out there about my liberty rights to not wear a mask, uh, even if it might harm another life, uh, is uh, you know it all kind of brings it all into some clarity. Uh, and certainly when I hear people say, you know, requiring me to wear a mask just so that somebody else might not die, um, I say, okay, so you'll be standing with me, right, um, to protect my constitutional right to, you know, to my liberty, my, my right to financial security, and my right to protect my own health and possibly my life, um, even if it might affect another life, right? So you'll be with me, right? And, you know, then everything goes quiet. Yeah. And, and also on the responsibility, like, you know, you need to be more responsible when practicing sexual intercourse or, or abstain altogether. Okay. Well, you need to be responsible and wear a mask. Yeah. Right. No, that's all, you know, <laughs> suddenly that's all different. So, um, so I think, um, I, you know, I, I'm really uh, hoping on this uh, equal protection um, approach and hope that uh, somebody can argue that and, uh, and really, you know, just acknowledge that, you know, women actually do have liberty rights and should not, pregnant women should not be singled out uh, and exempted from their own personal liberty rights. Uh, so let's, let's hope it goes there. So I'll be yelling about it. Worth noting that our, there are multiple Indiana male legislators that believe there should be no abortion whatsoever. You know, even for a, a, a pregnant mother who has a non-viable pregnancy, um, you know, like Senator Braun. Right. It, it's just, it is shocking. Disturbing. It, is shocking. it is utterly disturbing. It is, it is. And of course, when you hear all the rants, you know, never once is the woman actually mentioned. It's like, as if this fetus is, you know, running around, you know, on its own, ready to pop out and go play baseball in the backyard. Um, you know, there is this woman involved in all of this. You know, there is this pregnant woman who's risking her health, uh, risking her life, uh, and most certainly risking her financial security um, because of this law. So, you know, how about well, how about let's talk about you know the women. But let's do that. So I did want to, so I did, and I did want to kind of tie that in there that I think I really fear those CIDs that you call uh, called them, the investigative demands, um, uh, that that might enter this realm as well. And, um, and we need to be, we need to be careful. We need to be looking forward to see where this is going. Um, certainly, you know, he has no intention of stopping this nonsense, um, these baseless investigations. Of course, I, want, I, I wish I could find out how much that is costing the state of Indiana. Um, but he has no intention of stopping anytime soon. As, as long as he can get a headline, it doesn't matter, you know, who's in the way and who is victimized by it. So, right. um, so we need to, you know, we need to be thinking carefully about what is coming next from him. Yeah. I mean, you'll hear people say, what does this have to do with the Deceptive Consumer Sales Act? What does Valpo and the, and the Chinese government have to do with that? And, you know, um, Rokita's quote in response to this investigation was, our office will use every tool at our disposal to protect Hoosiers and put liberty into action. So any tool. Um, to make sure I get a headline. That's the one he has discovered that is at his disposal. 
So, uh, let, well, let's hope there's a bottom. Let's hope there's somebody who can say, uh, no, you have to have some basis. You have to have some realistic basis for all of these uh, investigations. Uh, you right. can't the, keep the, the, wasting the, our tax dollars on yeah. this. And the um, just the uh, Indiana Supreme Court did speak to this during um, A.G. Carter's administration. Um, somebody fought a CID, and you know they they let the A.G.'s office move forward with the CID, but they did forewarn, you know that history is taught that power can be abused and that CIDs shouldn't be abused for fishing expeditions or retaliatory retaliation um, and that they need to be tied to a legitimate investigation and impose um, a mild deterrent to arbitrary use of government authority he, to not. And so they foreshadowed this, you know, Maybe to be maybe to be revisited. Maybe somebody will fight right. it. We'll see. Right. Well, and I think uh, I think it's up to us to remind Rokita of um, the fact that the court has recognized that there should be some limitation on this, and that you know the you know un, unbridled use of it um, is not acceptable. Right. So we just need to keep saying it. We've been screaming it, Deb. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've been screaming it. <laughs> yeah, we, we are. We'll continue. We'll continue. We can do right now. All okay. right. Okay. So, um, so there was so much. I mean, at some point, I don't know how we'll put together a recap of everything. I think it's worth it just because there's been so many things, you know, and most of them, you know, he ends up losing, you know, the whole thing of this fight with the governor, you know, he got really smacked down uh, by the courts on that one. And, um, and all these other things, um, maybe not so noisily, uh, but have, you know, really not succeeded. So it is all just a bunch of nonsense. So uh, I'm so, sure he'll, uh, ca he'll cap it all. He, he will um, do it in his uh, run for governor. It'll be in his campaign. All the things that he did went after big tech, went after the Chinese. Uh, yeah, with zero, zero success. After all of them. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we're out of time, but this was great. As always, Destiny, you are just fantastic. You know so much. And I so appreciate your, your expertise on all of these issues. And uh, we will be continuing. I, uh, I'm very confident that we will be back here again with even more <laughs> interesting things to talk about in the Todd Rikido, uh Circus Show uh, in Indiana. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.